Hey, Elliot. Hey, Brian. What's the talk of the table? Today we are joined by Jay Stroutman. Jay is an actual play performer known for their role as co-DM on the actual play podcast Planet Arcana, for which they also edit, score, and produce. Jay tours with the band Sky Wallace as their bassist, and Jay has recently released their first game, Contact, a solo playlist building game about alien communication. Jay is part of the team behind the upcoming actual play narrative fusion podcast Soul Operator, for which they are the audio engineer and composer. Jay Stroutman... Welcome to the show. Good to have you, as always. Thank you so much. I'm so stoked to be here. Elliot, I heard you do it just a little bit there in that intro, because we were talking about this before the show, and we kept going, soul operator. I <laughs> did that I heard, so I heard that little lilt of it in your voice. It, it, it's, yeah, it's because I've been doing it all day since writing this intro. Soul um, operator. Soul operator. Um, Jay, how are you? Yeah, it's so exciting to have you. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and be working on another thing. Not that I'm working on this. I'm just here and vibing. But it's nice to <laughs> talk to you guys in a recorded manner again. I'm very stoked. Oh, we're going to put you to work. All right. Oh, I'm ready. Sure. <laughs> we love vibing with you on My First Dungeon, one of our favorite people to have on. And so it's great to have you as one of the first people in this this new space, this table at which we are talking. Oh. That is nice. I love to talk at a table. Also, my first dungeon was such a delight to be part of. So I very grateful to have done that. And then for that to have led here. And then who knows where we'll go from here. <laughs> who knows where we'll go from here. But definitely <laughs> for anyone things. listening who doesn't know what we're talking about, go listen to my first dungeon mm-hmm. and specifically the Yzeba season where we had Jay on as Monday, the delightful fairy <laughs> merchant. Oh my God. I love Monday. <laughs> It was fun to play, and I'm I like that I got my like you guys gave us a choice of who our top three characters to play with were, and I got my first choice, so I feel very lucky. Yeah, <laughs> I tell I tell Elliot this. I think I've told a couple people that like Elliot and Abby and and Chinook, or like my first dungeon people, that anytime you're on an episode and like your voice comes on, I'm just like, Ugh. it's just like it's a little vacation, like a little oh. audio vacation. <laughs> <laughs> excellent voice. <laughs> yeah, it's great. So, so the reason that I was excited to have you on the show, that Elliot and I were excited to have you on, is because recently we've, we've been talking a lot about, I think because of My First Dungeon, we're very invested in like the actual play space, the actual play community, and kind of like what that future looks like. Who's doing interesting things? Who's on the like, you know, quote unquote, bleeding edge of actual play production? Mm-hmm. And I first found Planet Arcana when I was researching for our uh, Anamnesis season. Because I'd never played a solo role-playing game before. I'd never tried to put that into an actual play before. And I was like, has anyone done this? And I searched. And initially, I was like, no, no one's done this. And then I found Planet Arcana. And I was like, oh, great. I'll listen to this. And not only was it like someone playing it, it was a really, really good playthrough of it. So I listened to that, and I loved it. And I listened to Tangled Blessings after that by Cassie Mothwin, another friend Mm -hmm. of the podcast, uh, and loved it. And then I got into like the main show of Planet Arcana, and I was like, oh, they're also doing something new and interesting here because the first thing you hit right out of the gate is, oh, there's two DMs in this game. Hell yeah. <laughs> so at every step of my journey of finding Planet Arcana, you guys were doing something interesting and innovative on the show. And and even in a recent arc, you kind of eschewed 5e a little bit to make your own custom system to play with. And like it's this tarot-infused game. There's so many things going all the way back to the beginning that are new and exciting and things that I want to talk about. So to start all the way back at the beginning, 
Uh, why why two GMs? Oh man. Okay. I need a minute after you gassed me up like that because I feel amazing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we really have done a lot of good stuff. <laughs> You've done a lot of great stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. It feels good to have someone else put it in words though. The two GMs really just stems from the fact that I am doing this project with my best friend. We have known each other since we were like, I, she babysat me when I was nine and she was 12. <laughs> so had no business babysitting me at all. But our yeah. parents, we had like moved to this small town at the same time. And our parents were like, uh, they could probably use each other. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they, uh, they put us in a room together and like, we've been, and like we've had our highs and lows and we've moved to different parts of the country, but like we've been best friends since then and very, very close. We've done a number of creative partnerships together and this is the first one that's kind of felt like it's like it's been an impact to other people too. So that's mm. been really special to do that with her. Um, and yeah, I mean, the 2GM thing, I'm glad that it's working, but honestly, it was just because we like to work together and that's really all it is. Although I will say now that I've been doing 2GMs, I'm going to have a really hard time going to solo <laughs> GMing because it's <laughs> such a blessing to work with someone on like all of the nitty gritty stuff um, of GMing and like really all of the busy work when you can split that up and also have someone to bounce ideas off of because like I'm sure everybody knows this, like GMing can be so lonely. So having someone to help with the busy work, having someone to bounce ideas off of, and then just like having someone to encourage your ideas or like be a real person to be like, that's not the best idea, but we can do better. And like, it's just, it's really special. And it's also so valuable to me. I know when we were doing our, our die season, uh, Elliot was producing on it. So Elliot wasn't on mic. And after every episode, you and I, Elliot and I would talk and would like kind of go back and forth on like what happened, what's, you know, and, and Elliot it was like invaluable in helping me plan and came up with some of the best ideas that like ended on, ended up on the show. And I never had that before. Like at very best, I had Abby who like when I was playing a home game, she'd be like, oh, what happened in your game? And I'd get to tell her and then she'd be like, well, what if this happened? Oh. Uh, which was, which is lovely, but it is a very cool experience to have someone at the table who's also like a confidant and, and a person you can can help you build a world together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think everybody knows that feeling of like when you're DMing a home game and all you want to do is run the cool ideas you're having off the players in that game, but you're like, but then I'll spoil it for you. So yeah, yeah it's, it's great, great to have that kind of person. Also, the freedom of being able to interact with each other as NPCs is really mm. cool. There's a lot more that you can convey with two people, like two people talking to each other as a solo GM is hard. You know, even if you're good at voices, it's a, it's a real challenge. So to be able to have like, and we've made a lot of sets of characters that are, they come as a, a pair. So we get to talk to each other a lot. We get to do a lot of exposition like that where we talk to each other and that helps the, I think that helps the players with immersion and thus the audience as well. I hope. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I've every now and then I fall into the trap of like I'll be I'll be DMing and I'll be looking down the road like you know thirty seconds in the future and I'll be, realize like oh no, there's two NPCs that are about mm -hmm. to talk to each other. If no one <laughs> steps in, I'm having a conversation with myself for thirty seconds. Correct. And you're just like careening closer and closer. Like someone help me out, help me out. And at this point, all the players know they know what they're doing to me. <laughs> so they just they wait and they let me suffer. They do that. Those. 
Can I swear those, on the yeah, show? Yeah, oh, yeah, you yeah. can absolutely those swear. Motherfuckers. Those, <laughs> those motherfuckers. Those motherfuckers. <laughs> this goes out to the Planet Arcana players. Those motherfuckers. <laughs> you heard it here first, <laughs> you fuckers. <laughs> so as you guys go into like prep, like what does session prep look like for you guys with, with two game masters? Do you have a consistent way that you guys are splitting up the work? Or is it just kind of uh, an adapt as you go kind of thing? When we first started, I had a, a lot more experience DMing and GMing. Um, so I kind of took on mechanics and still, it's still weighted that way. Like I will, we haven't used any out of the box monsters. I've designed all of them. Um, so I do oh, all wow. of that and I do like all of the combat prep and stuff like that. Um, and then when we first started, like I was doing basically only that and B was doing like description writing and like prose and kind of that stuff. But as we've gone on, we've tried to help each other with the with our weaknesses. So at this point, it really is just like whoever gets to the task first does it. Um, it's pretty uh, synergistic. I still feel more comfortable with mechanics. I love running things like encounter tables, combat, and things like that. And B is so good with her off the cut. B is my codium. I don't know why I said that now as if like <laughs> I should have said that way earlier and not whatever. You get it. Um, you're here for the good stuff. Uh, B is so good with off the cuff narrations. Her prose is not only perfect, but the way that she's able to access it in a, in a brief, like it, like access brevity while doing off the cuff mm. prose is a skill that not a lot of people have and she just destroys it. So while we play to each other's strengths and our own strengths and know what we're doing, we have been challenging each other to get better at the things that we're like historically not as as good at. So, yeah, but like as far as session prep goes, it basically is a lot of planning goes into who's going to run which session. And I remember getting a compliment from a, a listener once and they were like, I really noticed that you guys were way better on your transitions. And we've we felt that um in recent days but like when we first started we were really confused on like who runs what section and how are we going to know when it's okay for the other one to jump in and that part we found just has no right answer and we just had to get good at knowing like reading each other um we don't use video when we record so we read only yeah we read only audio signals which is a, a bit of a challenge but it's it's what it is and um we put a lot of thought into a lot of stuff and you would think that with two dms a lot of stuff would go faster and nothing does. I would say double GMing as far as prep goes takes way more time than solo GMing because you have to run your ideas by someone else. But as far as I'm concerned and definitely for my work, it it's only everything is better because of working with B. Love that. I want to actually pull out something there that you said that is really interesting to me and not related to what we were just talking about. But you said you record with camera off. And I'm curious, <laughs> is that the whole cast and you guys? Correct. And do you find that what what are kind of the benefits of that in your mind? Because I've never I've never done it that way. Um, you know, when you do an NPC's voice and you have to try to look like them and then you look um like weird and bad. Oh, yeah. And then you <laughs> and then you look in the camera and you're like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and it's really distracting. That's a lot of it for us. And just like literally just some of us don't own webcams, so this was just easier. And I've never like even before we started recording, we were playing remotely because we don't live in the same city and we've never used webcams because the, honestly, the thought just never occurred to us and <laughs> playing other games with other people who use webcams. I'm like, this is way better, but we're so far <laughs> entrenched in it that it's just what it is. 
Oh, it's cool. It's, I'd love to try it, like, as an experiment. I think there, yeah, there would be some, like, protection from your own embarrassment. Yeah, true. And there's something interesting that, of, like, you're now having a more, especially when you're recording for an audience, you, you're now having a more similar experience to what the audience is going to hear. Because visual cues just give you different things than, than audio cues do. Yeah, yeah, totally. I do also like what you were talking about, about having to learn each other's cues and, like, you know, you've got two people, you're running the same thing because this is only the, I think we've, as of the time of recording, we've recorded like seven interviews like this, but me and Elliot are still very actively trying to figure out how best to navigate a two person interview. And like, we'll get to the end of it. And like, one of us will always say like, I think I talked the whole time. The other one's like, <laughs> no, 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 it's good. It's good. But at the end of every interview, one of us thinks we talked the whole time. Oh, so familiar with that feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> do you uh, do you debrief after? We do. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. debrief. That I've we found that really helps, and we specifically had to start debriefing right after the session. We had to debrief that was just a gas up session, like just telling each other how good we did, and only get into problems the day after. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's smart. Yeah. Th- this is only vaguely related, but um. So at uh, my fiance and I, uh, Abby, um, a lot of our friends are comedians and, and we perform impro- like live improv comedy. And so we go to a lot of like live shows and we've been doing this for years. You know, back when we first met, none of our friends were any good. They were performing like awful back rooms and it was like improv one-on-one classes, which, you know, are rough to begin with. And, but they slowly got better. And now a lot of friends are doing it professionally and they're all very good and people you know, spend, spend good time doing it. Uh, but we came up with this thing that every time we left a show, we'd say, hey, you want to play everyone's favorite game show? And we'd go, yep. It, the game show is called Shit on the Show. And it's just <laughs> talk about all the bad things. And we talked about the good things, too. It's just like where you gas where you gas each other up, we just like gas the show down. That's fascinating. Like with that the performers, wild. you mean? Sometimes with with performers and sometimes just me and Abby. Yeah. But it would also be like when <laughs> but it would also be like when we perform. Uh, we'll like leave and we'll go like, all right, let's play shit on the show. And we'll talk about like, oh, you (laughs) nailed this part. You did not nail this part. (laughs) Oh. And, uh, but it's like, it's like a fun thing. And when you, and when you phrase it as let's shit on the show, it's like, okay, this is goofy and fun. And we're, Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're above it all. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice to get roasted by your friends, by people you trust and love. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And usually it ends up being, Usually everyone knows the parts that they did not hit and the parts that they definitely did hit. Uh, and it's always nice to have some of that re- uh, reinforced by your friends. I feel like that would make me trust someone. Like if I asked them if something was good, I would trust them to tell me the truth. You know what I mean? Like if I was able to play that game with someone. <laughs> yeah. I I have been. So someone um, recently sent me a a podcast they wanted me to listen to and they're like hey can you give me some notes on this and I was like very flattered that they would ask me and I was like of course uh, but I started listening to it and then I stopped and I sent them back a message before I listened anymore and I said what kind of notes do you want like mm-hmm. do you just want to know if the vibe is right or do you want me to give you notes because like I will give you notes if you mm-hmm. want notes but if you just want like vibe like am I on the right track I can absolutely do that too and I think having that like clear communication of what do you want here like, just be honest. If you just wanted someone to gas you up, I can gas you up for sure. Mm-hmm. It's the greatest question you can ask when you, like, or it's the greatest thing you can give someone when you ask for notes is like, hey, can you specifically yeah. give me feedback in this way? Because otherwise, you know, I've been in that situation where I haven't been specific, 
and then someone gives me like really critical notes and I was like, no, I just wanted to know if like this generally looked good. Like this isn't mm-hmm. like a big thing, but I've learned over time to yeah. ask for specifics. It's crucial for sure. I totally agree. I also really like that. I got a, uh, someone quoted a thing to me a while ago that I really connected with. And it's, if someone tells you something's not working, they're right. If someone tells you how to fix it, they're wrong. Oh, which I think is great. Like if someone can sense that something's not working, they're probably right. Yeah. The second they get prescriptive, it's like, no, no, no. They definitely don't understand what's happening. That's so good. I want that right? crocheted into like a pillow or something. <laughs> it it really clicked something in my mind about like how to receive criticism. Like the second you get a criticism, you're like, great. That's an area that needs addressed. Mm-hmm. Everything after that, you can kind of forget. You're just like, okay, cool. I, but I know that area needs addressed. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so good. I love to receive notes, too. I love, I mean, prompted, obviously, not, (laughs) don't tweet at me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but yeah, asking for the right kind of critique is so important. But yeah, I, um, I totally lost my train of thought. Yeah, don't, don't critique me unless I ask you, unless I love you and know you. (laughs) Yeah, we've gone on, we've gone on a weird tangent here. Yeah, yeah, a little little feedback tangent. Back to Planet Arcana. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the Arcana portion of it, Uh I'd love to talk a little bit about tarot as an inspiration for you and tarot and how it's informed uh, Planet Arcana, how you use it um, in a flavor sense and how you've used it maybe in a mechanical sense at times. Just what's what's the Arcana in Planet Arcana? Ooh. (laughs) Um, from a nostalgic sense, B used to read my tarot cards all the time when we were young, especially when we were like teenagers, 16, 17 ish. And she's so good at it. Um, she's really good at interpreting cards and just seeing things from their perspective and pulling things that are relevant to you. Like there's, she, she, she used to charge for it when we were like 19, 20 or so, like she's so good at it. So we've had like kind of a lifelong connection to it. But from like a a realistic, actual, like pragmatic sense, tarot is so good for character building because the major arcana, like tarot, if you don't, if you're not familiar with tarot, it's split up into two. There's the minor arcana, which is like a suit of cards. It's like there's the, there's the wands, the swords, the cups, and the, um, the, and the other one. And then there's the major arcana. Pentacles, yeah. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And then there's the major arcana, which are just archetypes. It's just really boiled down essences of characters, which is so easy to build a character off of because it's, it's setting expectations, which is great because you can use them in like um, a stereotypical way where players know what to expect. And then you can use the stereotypical ways and like turn them on its head. So then players, when you don't have to explain a lot for them to be, surprised and for you to incorporate a twist so the archetypes themselves are very useful in that sense and we didn't ask the players to do this but we said when you were building characters that you could kind of make your characters uh not follow in like a religious sense but like maybe have a connection with one of the arcana and that can inform the name that you choose and etc and so um sean in our podcast like he i know that he really connected with the moon being like secrecy and illusion and things like that and like his character is not like religious he doesn't follow the moon but like he picked the name crater wayne uh for his character just as like an 
as a way to tell us like a little like that he's hiding something there's a there's a secret there Mm. um so it's really cool to be able to use those archetypes um in a way to set up expectations and then knock them down and then from a mechanical standpoint recently we talked about it a bit in the intro but like we designed a bit of a game system that we went to for a couple episodes before coming back and that game system was instead of rolling dice we were drawing tarot cards we didn't really talk about this in the episodes because we hadn't developed it yet but as we've developed it further part of character creation is picking a major arcana that will give you your character a quest and a reason to be on the first mission that you play in so even just that it's really helpful to like B and I were just uh, pulling, like, just mass creating a bunch of new characters. And the idea is you'll pull three major arcana to kind of figure out what your motives are. And with any permutation of the major arcana, we could think of, like, a brand new character design. And that was really exciting. So it's just something that people know inherently and intrinsically and understand how to read them when you know, like, the, the couple, like, buzzwords or keywords that each major arcana is associated with. Sorry, I'm reveling in how good an answer that was oh, because it, it, it all just really makes sense. And you're right. It has that instant connection. Yeah. I'm reminded of uh, our friend and yours, Samantha Lee, mm-hmm. who wrote Anamnesis and was a guest writer on Project Echo. And I remember when Sam turned in the first draft of the uh, the Temporal Spread, which was their device that they wrote for Project Echo, the major arcana was characters you meet. And it was like oh. you draw the major arcana and it's mm-hmm. a character you meet. And and it was something that did not exist anywhere else in the game, but was such a great ad and made so much sense. And that's exactly what you're connecting this to is like those major arcana. It's like you can think of a variety of people that all fall in within this sort of framework. So I love that. And I love that it comes into play in all those ways. And I want to know when the PDF of this uh, this system you made is, is coming. Great question. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> It will eventually. That's so cool, though. And, like, makes sense that Sam Lee would bring that to your project because that's – that's. I mean, Anamnesis was my first indie game and my first solo game as well. And really – and yeah, actually, they reached out to me at the same time that, like, I had picked it up randomly in a bundle. And, like, they were like, Planet Arcana crossover? And I was like, Anamnesis thing that we could do? So that was really cool. Yeah, but they have a real mastery of the – of the tarot for sure. And now that we're kind of talking about Sam Lee and Anamnesis, I, I want to talk about the Planet Arcana playthrough of Anamnesis. Uh, because as I said before, it's like the first contact I really had with listening to Planet Arcana. And I, as with like any podcast, I, I, I knew I needed an Anamnesis thing to kind of like listen to and just kind of get an idea before we did our thing. I clicked on your guys's episode, just thinking like, okay, I'm going to listen to a thing. And like from minute one, I was like, oh no, like sit back and listen like this is actually you're you're listening to this you're not just listening to this wow that's which is great i mean it's i i we talked about this on the show a lot about how the first couple of seconds of any project or specifically podcast but like for any kind of art form if you don't say what you're doing right off the top and how good it's going to be it's easy to lose someone and the first like 20 seconds of that i was like oh i'm in i'm in baby let's do it oh love to hear that But but your playthrough of that game was such a big um, inspiration for what our playthrough eventually became. Like I knew we had some ideas of kind of doing like a vaguely noir thing, 
but I didn't know if it was going to work. So I never played a solo game. I never tried to do it as an actual play. But hearing you guys do amnesis and especially you guys do a solo game with multiple people, I was like, boom, it is possible. Like it can be done and it can be done well. So now I know it's, it's a thing we can do. Um, I'm realizing I don't have a question. I was just <laughs> gassing you up. But I guess actually here's, here's my, my question is after re- recording our recent Project Echo season, we were talking about it afterwards in kind of our talkback episode. And I've realized that the combination of uh, the stuff that, that we're doing on My First Dungeon, the stuff that you guys have been doing on Planet Arcana with your Anamnesis and your Tangled Blessings season, which also, if anyone wants something to listen to right now, go listen to the Planet Arcana Tangled Blessings. It's phenomenal. Oh. Uh, really love the Tangled Blessings season. Uh, and um, also what, what Cassie Mothwin is doing with stuff like The Wretched, I feel like between the... This is a little uh, highfalutin of me, a little high-minded of me of my own highfalutin. show. Highfalutin? Do I don't know. There's a word there. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little self-congratulatory, but I think between those kind of three people, uh, those kind of three shows and a few more out there that I know exist, there's kind of a proof now of solo games don't have to be solo, solo games don't have to be alone, and they can be made into actual plays, uh, which I think wasn't necessarily a thing a year and a half ago. Totally. That's, um, yeah, I totally agree with that. But it once you think about it, it's kind of obvious because they're just story generators. Yeah, right. You know, so, I mean, in the same way that I guess, like, it's a bit less collaborative, I suppose. And I don't really connect with solo TTRPGs. I don't love to... I don't, I don't love to roleplay on my own. I would prefer to, like, bounce off of other people. But um, that's why I was very glad when we were like, can we... <laughs> Can we do Anamnesis, a solo game with two people, and also make it about our world? And Sam was like, hell yeah. And we were like, okay, that's <laughs> awesome. But um, yeah, I totally agree. It's fascinating how, like, for me, it's like, of course this would work, though. Like, TTRPGs are a memory generator or a story generator at the very least. And that's, uh, why not make it an actual play? And, like, also, I, you're, what you guys are doing with solo actual plays i can't wait to listen to project echo um i'm saving oh, it for my plane ride good. uh but yeah i'm i think it's really cool and your sound design is so on point that like i think that's what a lot of those solo playthroughs really need is just like an extra character in the sound or the music or whatever and i i know uh elliot we were talking about this in the project echo talk back in my first dungeon that you had had spoke with a couple of people who had picked up project echo and had planned to play it with a group yeah, 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 yeah. I think um, it's something that since doing the actual play and since getting the game into the hands of a few people, it's something that in making a solo game, I hadn't been considering. I hadn't been like, oh, maybe somebody will sit down with somebody else and do this. But one of the first people I got to hand a copy to, a friend of mine I met up with at Gen Con, was like, oh, I'm going to meet up with a group of friends on a video call and we're going to go through the game. And I'm like, that honestly rules it's like yeah it's like why not why not like get people together and like use one prompt and like talk through a scene or like you might decide to role play a scene the way we did with the with the actual play and it's totally changed this perspective in me about like you know once a solo game's out there like if you want to use it as not solo that's honestly sick and like you should you know um and i think that we talked to some people in our discord and people who were like 
I've never really responded to solo games like you're talking mm -hmm. about, Jay, where it's like I want to bounce off other people. And when we sort of when I threw out these examples to them, they were like, I had never thought about that. That's a great idea. And it like helped bridge that gap that the word solo was creating for them for a game that topic wise and story wise they might have really wanted to engage with. So, yeah, I think um, we're on a little bit of a, a, a crusade to to break down the 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 barrier to to solo solo quote unquote games. So true. It's so cool to watch like put your game out there and then watch it be interpreted completely differently from the way that you would imagine people using it and like intention aside like it's just very cool that it just has a life of its own when it goes into the public into the wild. Segway um <laughs> contact i want to know what it's been like for you to watch that happen specifically with contact your first game um i'm i'm gonna jump right on that segue how has it been for you to watch that happen with contact to go out into the world and be interpreted by by other folks and played the first time someone tweeted at me with their playlist and like i didn't know this person it, it was so rewarding if you're listening and you don't know what contact is it's a game where you make a playlist in order to interpret alien communications incoming and so the idea is you make a playlist with your friends and then you use the playlist to answer prompts and questions and I had just put the digital version out like I hadn't even sent out the physical versions and someone I remember just someone saying that they they just tweeted their playlist at me and I don't remember what they said but they were just like I can't believe this song hit at this moment and I was like that's how I felt every time I played it like one of the first play tests I had a Jimmy Eat World was like the big emotional climax. Uh, yeah. A Jimmy Eat World song was a big emotional climax of the whole game. And it's just like every time I listen to that song, it's uh, it has a different meaning. And I think I'm really into games that leave you art with artifacts of play. Mm. And a playlist can definitely be that. Yeah, it's been really cool. It's also been interesting because like. I kind of put up my first game and I'm just like, let's let's see what happens. And th then it was received well. And then I haven't made a game since. So I don't feel like I'm like, a, like I have a hard time describing myself as a game designer. I'm literally working on another game that's going to release in October. I'm very close to being done. Oh, congrats. You're a game designer. I know. I, like, I know that logistically, but it's... It feels weird to have released one game and then be like, hello, fellow game designers. I have thoughts and I don't know. It's just... Um, <laughs> Elliot, I, Elliot is going to get on your ass about this, this feeling I am, of yours. I am, I am, I am boiling. <laughs> I, you can, I can, you can see I can the liquid see gassing himself up to be like, no, no, no. No, no, Let no. Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you. With my, with my zero authority, I am bestowing the title of game, game designer on you and I want you to feel it fully. Thank you. I appreciate that. This is, I didn't mean for this to become about my imposter syndrome, but it. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, but it's, a, it's something we've talked about um, a lot on the podcast, actually. Like mm -hmm. we talked about this with the Triangle Agency folks that there's like, there, you know, there's no one metric by which you say that you're a game designer. It's like, if you make games, you're a game designer. And I think, honestly, I might be quoting somebody. I'm sure this isn't my original thought, but it's a thought I feel really strongly about. Mm -hmm. Um uh, as Brian can see all over my face as I'm listening to you, doubt yourself. But but you know to be you know to bring this all around and Elliot, if you don't want me to keep this in, we can we can cut this out. But during a a, a recent many sided media like internal meeting, we were talking about like possible like setting up possible panels for Pax U or something, and we were talking about doing like a solo game panel. And at some point, Elliot was like, well, I don't know if I feel like qualified to like be on a panel of solo game designers, but I could like maybe host it or something. And I turn and I go. Fuck you. <laughs> Get over yourself. <laughs> Be on the panel. Yes. 
It's true. Did you? That's true. We uh, haven't sent anything out, but we're hoping We've to. got a few days to... Are you coming to PAX Unplugged? Do you want to be on a panel? <laughs> what is... Tour. I'm so new to cons. I, I don't know where any of them are. Also, I'm going on... It's the Philly game convention right. in December. I will actually... Our first two tour dates are in the States. I've never played down there other than South by Southwest in Austin, so... Um, I'm also so bad with states geography that I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll swim by. Are you coming um, to New York on tour? Uh, just Ohio and Tennessee. I don't know where those are. Ooh, where in Ohio? I'm from Ohio. Really? Yeah, from Columbus. Uh, C- Cincinnati? Question mark? Okay, that's like the bottom of Ohio. Okay. But Cincinnati's nice. You'll like it. Yeah, I'm stoked. I'm freaking, yeah, I've never been. I've been to, oh boy. I was going to say I've been to Chicago. That's not in Ohio. Um, uh, decidedly not in Ohio. Still Midwest. But honestly, Ohio would love to have Chicago. <laughs> Ohio would Ohio be lucky wishes. to have Chicago. Um, I'm going to pull us back in. Yeah. Yeah, reel it back um, in. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to reel See if you can. Oh, I think I can do it. We're uh, flopping around out here. We're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> so game, de- game designer badge aside, Jay, I think it's really interesting that Contact is not a solo game, right? It's designed to be played with multiple people, but it's a hack of a solo game, Anamnesis. So you have almost done the thing we are talking about with Design and Contact. You've taken a solo system and introduced other people to it in this way that we're talking about just doing with any solo game. So I think there's an interesting thread there of uh, of your like design sensibilities and, uh, and uh, takes on solo role-playing. Yeah, that's so true, actually. I hadn't really thought of the fact that like, my public playthrough of Anamnesis, I was like, I know it's a solo game, but, and then I hacked it and I was like, I know this is a solo game, but. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. What if not? <laughs> we gotta, maybe there's, maybe there's just a word that we need for this type of game. Like maybe, maybe <laughs> I'm thinking of like, what if on like, it was Product Echo, a a solo game, but, or like, like you know, there's got to be some other word that we're just missing. Yeah, that's second ed- second edition we're putting solo-ish game yeah. on the cover. Solo-ish. Honestly, yeah. maybe. What about the word There's unless. a game that solo-ish is right, unless. Yeah, <laughs> a solo time travel game all the way at the bottom corner, unless. <laughs> <laughs> Something there. No, I had pulled this back in, and now we're going off again. <laughs> well, no, this, kind, um, this honestly kind of goes back because we had a conversation with um, Dr. M. Friedman, uh, who is big into like talking about actual play and like defining actual play and and you know the term like what that term is, what it encompasses. And I have found myself recently kind of fascinated with the terminology we use for things and the words we put to things because they are both evocative and limiting depending on which edge you're looking at. And, you know, when we were at uh, Gen Con, Elliot was showing Project Echo to someone and they they were very interested in it. They were looking at all the art and they're like, oh, this looks really cool. And then they turned to the front cover and they said, oh, there's a word on that cover that I don't like. And Elliot said, you mean solo? And he said, yep. Oh. But <laughs> the way I see solo games, especially, especially after our playthrough of Echo and especially after like re-listening to your Anamnesis season is like, it, the word itself confines the things that are using it. Like mm. the, the word itself is not enough to define what these things have become. And I want to find that better word or just <laughs> grab people by the shoulders and shake them. I, but yet it's a good marketing word. Yeah. It's a great marketing word. I get I, it. I was going to say the same thing because I know so many people who love solo RPGs for yeah. so many reasons. And like, I think that 
a lot of people who would see solo would be like, this is for me and it's not for me. And I guess things don't have to be for everybody, but I don't know. It's, it's hard to like, it'd be cool. Like you're saying to like give an indication that like, not, not necessarily like solo ish, but more just like, here's a word to tell you that you can kind of do whatever you want with this game, which should Mm. be like, which should be inherent in all ttrpgs i personally i think in my opinion but like i think that if you're not if you haven't been playing them for a long time you're not that familiar with them that might be a scary concept and you might not know that you might not know that you're allowed to do literally whatever you want yeah yeah i think i think you're right i think that is a is a a dynamic shift for people to have about ttrpgs at broad and it's one that people are really accustomed to having with dnd you know because Mm -hmm. of the you know, homebrew and hacking, uh, the homebrew communities of D&D make that a really prevalent idea, and it's maybe less prevalent in indie communities. But, oh man, I had a thread here, a point that I was working towards, and it's totally gone. We're just vibing. We're, We're just, just vibing, vibing man. We're just having <laughs> just a good time episode. talking about games. Hell yeah. Games and design and di- design and games. Um I just want people to be as excited about all the things I'm excited about as I am excited about them. That also got away from me. I want people to be excited about things I'm excited about in the same degree that I am excited about them. We got but, and, and I, but I don't want to diminish. I don't want to diminish true solo play because I have mm-hmm. both had and read very compelling solo experiences that people have had with solo games. I don't want to say that playing solo games as intended is wrong. I think it's just really cool that we're finding these ways to say solo, but Mm -hmm. in our interpretation of them, that's super fun. I really love how you're doing it on Planet Arcana. And I really love that you did it with contact and that there's that connection there that I didn't realize until we were talking here. Um, do you mind if I go on a quick other tangent? Because I have a similar Love thing. Love other tangents. Let's vibe. Yeah. I recently, this is like a similar thing as like solo versus group play, I guess. is like having been trying to design games. <laughs> I, I I don't know why I can't. Having been, des- I'm sorry, having been designing games. Yeah, right. Mean? Sorry. Um, having been <laughs> legitimately designing <laughs> yes, games. Yes, right. I'm as sorry, a, Elliot. Yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> as a game designer. Um I think like GM versus non-GM is a is a similar binary. Um, and I remember being in actually Cassie Mothwin's Discord server. And I there was like there's just like a TTRPG channel. And I was like, hey, I played Monster Hearts 2 last night with a group, um, which if you don't know it, is a, a game about flirting with your friends and everybody's a monster. But the game is set up to have a game runner, and I ran it. And the whole time I was running it, I was thinking, like, this could so easily be a GMless game because, like, I really I didn't do any prep for it. I just kind of showed up and I was just like, uh, like, I barely I barely led it at all. So it feels weird to call myself a game runner for that specific game. But anyway, I just put in that I put in that group. I was like, does anybody has anybody tried this? Like, I'm, I really think that Monster Hearts 2 could be a GMless game. And I think it was Cassie who said any game can be a GMless game if you trust your group enough. And I, that rocked me because I was like, yeah. I never thought about that. But like literally any I could think of any game that I would do GMless with the group that I have, you know, mm. and everybody just bounces ideas off of each other. So there's yeah, I just you can do whatever you want with TTRPGs. That's the point yeah. I'm trying to get to. You can do whatever you want. No, it's so true. And I, I've just made a note for this because we are also going to be talking to Cassie and I want to really dig in on on uh, her perspective on this as well. But I think what you're saying is so true. And I think it 
that feeling becomes more and more prevalent for me in running games after playing GMless games mm-hmm. and after playing games that encourage you to put more of the world in the hands of your players. It has changed how I see the G- GM role in general. I don't see it in for the sure. D&D way anymore where it's like I am the ultimate arbiter of information. I like even now when I go back and run 5e for friends, I am much more inclined to be like, okay, who do you meet here? Mm-hmm. How do you know them? Like, who from your past is here or like what's what do you find in this thing like i i love throwing the the those little pieces of the gm role out in games that don't ask for it and i think like playing gmless games has changed that so totally totally love that thought mm-hmm. i feel like this is this feels cuz i feel the same way like the second we played wanderhome uh, for the first time i was like oh this is better or, or like not necessarily better but like this is just as good this isn't a different thing yeah. this isn't as different as i thought it was going to be but I feel like the more we play games that are low prep or zero prep or kind of encourage you to come into a session zero or a session one without prepping. So like when we ran Die, which is a a more complex game, but it asks you to come into the first session unprepared and kind of mm-hmm. learn things at the table with your players. It kind of mirrors how I've been feeling about rolling on random tables or like roll like ro- literally rolling a character based on like random tables. Because when I first started GMing, I was like, this is dumb why would i just pick random tables i if, if it's not coming from my mind it's not real i'm not gonna roll on a d20 table fuck that and now every time i see a table i'm like oh my god this is just like i there's no way that i could make something as incredible as like what you get with like a three like roll on three d20 tables you're just gonna get more weird combinations of things and it's the same thing of when you ask your player who do you know here how do you know them mm-hmm because I've had I've been doing all the planning and I've been like prepping everything, everything in my head is like a straight line more or less. The second I put that out to a player, they're gonna come at it from the wildest angle ever and make the story all the better for it. The 80s are over and you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you and you got touched by the weird and it made you wild and it made you powerful. This is the world of The Lost Bay, a suburban gothic RPG. A fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter, featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com Yeah. Jay, I'm curious if your if your relationship with with GMing in this way, like in in the idea not I know you mentioned this specifically in the context of Monster Hearts, but if this if your exposure to GMless games has changed how you DM for Planet Arcana. Oh. De- mm. That's so hard to say because I've DM'd, like DM'd 5th edition 
so much. Like I've, I sure. started in 2015 and I've had the opportunity to play a bunch of GMless games, but one, usually one sessions or like I did, I did do have a, a little wander home campaign, which is so blessed. Um, hey, and I'm very, nice. very grateful for that because it really lends itself to a campaign. Anyway, I've had, like, I've played these other games, but like I've run hundreds of D and D sessions and I, I guess I, de- I definitely think my perspective on games has changed, but it's so hard for me to say whether it changed my style or even like, I don't know, because I have so much experience and I know how DMing works. And I think that I could be, I think I could learn a lot from GMless games, but it would be, it would be a falsity to say that like I, you know, I, it changed the way that I GM because I just have way too many habits that are set in. Um, and bad habits, I would say, from like D and D specifically, um, and I don't need to, I don't need to get into those. But like, you no, know, you don't need to list your bad habits. <laughs> we won't ask you to do that. Wow, um, this really, this really shows how different we are. Because I was moments away from being like, and what are those bad habits? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a fair question. I mean, like, I think just D and D doesn't really encourage a lot of collaboration, even though it kind of uh, it wants to be seen as that. But I don't think that. You know, if you want collaboration, there's a million and one games you should play before d and I think it's, I don't know, that's a cynical take. I really like playing it. I, I I think the game itself is fine. I think the company has a lot of problems, but I just want to say that so that no one, yeah. <laughs> no one tweets at me. <laughs> <laughs> don't at us. Don't. We're going to turn the us. blinker off as we drive by that road. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I don't know. GMS games rule. I wish I could play more of them. I also love the the amount of prep that I'm able to do for a GMing game that like lets people experience the kind of story that I want to tell and still gives them a place in it. But like GMing really has a, it has a place. It's not, you know, neither one is better than the other. I don't know. I don't feel like I answered that question at all. <laughs> no, it was a, it was a little left field. I was just curious if it was, if it was actually true, but no, I think, I think you're right that D and D does sort of still ask you to play that that typical DM role, and there is something that is fun about that D, that tr- typical DM role. Like I, I've loved building specific stories for specific players at my table and getting to like surprise them. Yes, mm-hmm. with that, like that can be a really rewarding and fun experience as a DM. So totally, totally agree. Yeah, totally agree. Likewise, I am really excited for our uh, one of our upcoming seasons. We're going to play Orbital Blues. And it'll be the first time in a little while that I've gotten to GM something that doesn't specifically want you to come in without any preparation. Ooh. So I'm really excited to sit down and like go to a cafe with a notepad and just oh. like write down all my ideas. Because I remember there were days when I was running like just friends, especially during the pandemic, I ran like D&D every week for like 50 weeks and it was great. Mm. But I would go to a cafe or like sit in the park and just like write for two or three hours and like figure out all the little threads and stuff. I drew, I've got a bunch of maps that I I got into map drawing. I wrote like sea shanty, in world sea shanties. Like (laughs) I love doing that stuff. Also, if that's not solo TTRPG play. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't know what it is. (laughs) You got me. You 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 really sucked me right there. That is so good. That is so, so good. Yeah, I was about to say, I used to love writing little lore documents for for my D&D campaign. Like, I have a whole OneNote book for the one I've been running for a few years, and it's... Great. And that's that's so that's so that's such a good thing that you just said, Jay, that I need to I need to like 
put a few exclamation points around that of like GM prep is kind of solo play. That's kind of that's kind of sick, honestly. Totally. Um, I've got to show this will not be good for listeners, but I've got to show off the nerdiest, most <laughs> indulgent thing I've ever done as a game master. Oh, if you um, hadn't brought this up, I was about to. Ooh. Oh, okay. So no, in my, I, I ran a, a D&D game for a bunch of friends. Uh, we had one session in person right before the pandemic, and then the pandemic hit. Great. And we did everything online for like 50 weeks straight. And it was a great campaign, really good. I would love to go back to it. We haven't played for a couple of years now. But midway through like the third or fourth session, one of them made the joke of, uh, yeah, can I like go to a newsstand and pick up a magazine? I was like, sure. And they said, like, can I pick up like I don't know a new orker? And I was like, <laughs> oh, buddy. And together we made a like what is this like third twenty six page New Yorker. Oh my god! With like whatever you're imagining, it's better. It's stunning. We've got instead of uh, talk of the town, it's gab of the guild. We got... Uh, there's cartoons. There's cartoons. There's in-world. There's a, a whole monster that I made. With oh, a, my with God. With a stat block and shit. I made rules for an in-world game that we then played that session. Oh, your players are so lucky. It was great. And then I got to show you this. Look at this. My friend Lauren did a like a oh. New Yorker cartoon. Look how good that is. It looks exactly like the... The New Yorker like style. I don't know what to call it's that. Fantastic. Oh my god. When I tell you that 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 magazine is one of the reasons that Brian and I are friends, oh. I'm not joking. <laughs> because I saw him post about that on Instagram and then was like, this is an extremely cool person that I want to be friends with. Oh, I thought maybe you were in the group. Oh no, I wish I was. Um, but we didn't don't know each we other all? when that was happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't we all? Wouldn't it be fun if that becomes like a story? Like every time I think of like Brendan Lee Mulligan's like home group, I'm like, man, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool if you were there when? Wow. That is so that cool. That just happened just on happened. a on a small scale. Okay. Man, wow. I'm I'm this is really self-indulgent of me. <laughs> no, 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 it's not. We've done we've done we've done we're doing a little triangle of gassing each other up. It's That's all true. it's That's all true. good. We're vibing, we're having a good time. Don't apologize for being cool, all right? Yeah. All right. And GMing right. is a thankless job. So whenever you can talk about the cool stuff that you did, I think you're it it's legal. <laughs> it's In fact, legal. Yeah, it's illegal to not talk about the cool stuff that you've done when yeah. you're in the presence of other game game nerds. <laughs> I've got warrants out for me in 49 states because I haven't been talking <laughs> enough about all my DMD stuff. you got to be careful about that. They're coming. <laughs> They're coming. Um, so I think as we, as we kind of like – as we kind of wind this conversation down a little bit. So I, I opened this up by saying all the stuff that I was super inspired and excited about that you guys were doing with, with Planet Arcana. I'm curious what are the shows or the things or the – the games that are exciting you right now in the space that you think are doing like interesting and unique things and that like what are the pieces of those things that you're trying to pull into stuff that you're making? Because I know explicitly with, you know, the Anamnesis episode, I looked to that and stole so much from what you guys did, oh, uh, which was excellent. That's such a great question. I feel like this is just going to – this is just going to sound like um, – I'm just, I feel like I'm trying to sound like a good guest, but I really think that everything you guys are doing is so freaking cool. 
And like, I think that it's really <laughs> obvious when you find people who are really treating it like, like a business and like a job and like a, not to say that like that's better or worse than anything. Like there's a lot of just for fun stuff that's out there, but I don't know that the kind of stuff that I'm doing, I know that like we're, we're treating it as such as a business and as a product really, like it's not, it's not a game that we're just like letting people see. It's very much, uh, it, it's a product that we consider the audience for. And obviously all of the work that you guys put into every, like your newsletters and your actual plays and now like an interview show, like it's just, I'm, I'm really inspired by what you guys are doing. And I think that it has like everything that you do has legs, which is crazy because you're doing so many things. <laughs> so that's really cool. Um, I, this sucks to say, but like, I'm not really on an actual play tangent right now. I'm way on an on an audio drama tangent right now. I'm really into hey, horror audio dramas because I'm learning how to sound design right now, which I know that like, do you do all of it, Brian? Uh, yeah, right now I do. Yeah. Yeah. You're so good at it. And that's oh, something that there's like not a lot of actual plays that are doing a lot of sound design, which I think is good because like there's something about an actual play that's over sound design that feels like f- f- artificial. Yeah. Artificial yeah. is a way better word. Yeah. Um, so like to walk that line is very challenging and I'm doing it a little bit in Planet Arcana, but like, I'd rather put my energy into like uh, an actual horror podcast, which is, that's what I'm doing for Soul Operator, which is also Mm. a playthrough of a solo TTRPG, but scripted over an entire season, which is very cool. So I'm just doing sound design for that, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm inspired by people who are trying to push the medium in new ways. I would, I want to do that. I, um, I, I struggle to say that like we're doing it ourselves, but like we are trying, we're looking for ways to push it in, in, uh, in exciting ways. And like, yeah, geez, not a super brief answer, but no, I think, well, no, that's a great answer. But I, I do think that two things you said there are super important to highlight. And one of them is that, and, and I feel the same way as you do. And I would, I would elocute it the same way that you did of, I don't know if we're doing it. I don't know if we're pushing things in the space, but we're trying. Yeah. And I think the second that you actively try to do something interesting and new, you are like you're you're doing it way more than anyone else is. Because just in the act of actively thinking about it and and the other thing that you said that I really love that I say in every, you know, every time we talk about actual play, consider the audience. The second mm-hmm. you consider the audience, and if that's your goal, if your goal is to make a product for an audience that they can enjoy and they can love, you have to consider the, you have to take them into consideration. You have to think about what they want to hear. And the second you do that, and the second you decide to try to do something interesting and innovative and new, you're already well down the road to doing it because you've made that conscious choice to check those boxes and do the additional work that those things require. And so I really like that you guys are doing that. I feel like, and maybe this is a, a hot take, maybe not, I don't think so, based on the other conversations <laughs> we've had, but I feel like one of the most harmful myths that Critical Role created in the actual play space is we are just five friends playing a, a table and we turned mics on. Yeah. I think that mm. that created this this feeling across actual play that that's all it is, you know? Right. Um, and it can be that. And yeah. some people, you know, do that. And it's like, and it's like a really fulfilling thing for them to do in that way. But like, it's also like really hard work to make like an totally. entertainment product. And like, and like, you can't just rely on that, that story of like, 
we're just five or six friends who sat down and turned mics on. Yeah. Well, it's branding in itself, which I think is hidden, which is it's really good branding. Sure. Exceptional branding. Exceptional branding. Nailed it. Absolutely yeah. nailed yeah. it right out of yeah. the gate. <laughs> yeah. They're doing um, something right over there. <laughs> yeah. It's, it seems like Critical Role might have hit the nail on the head. <laughs> it I might catch know. on. Yeah, Critical Role might, might catch, catch on. on. So not to ask a question that I'm worried you'll have maybe a lot more to say than time we want to take from you because you've already given us so much time. But if you can answer this in one one answer, mm-hmm. I am so curious about how your experience as a musician impacts you as an actual play performer and as a game designer, and if it does in both those ways. I can't speak to game de- designer, which I am one. Which you are. <laughs> I am one of those. Um, I, but I simply can't speak to that experience because I haven't had the... Let me put this a different way. As a musician, I have spent a lot of time learning how to deal with having a bad show, feeling bad on stage, and coming back from mistakes in a way that nobody notices. So those are the points at which I'm like struggling. And the things that I've learned from being a musician is how to A, make those struggles invisible to the audience, and B, how not to let them carry over into like after the show. And that's, I mean, it was... It was so helpful in Planet Arcana as soon as we started because I knew how to change a mistake in the moment to make it seem like it was intentional. Um, Mm -hmm. It doesn't always work, but I do have the experience of doing it. And I also know how to get off stage in quotation marks or like on Planet Arcana, like get off the Discord call and be like, not my best, but that's okay. Like it's, Mm -hmm. we're going to do this again and again. And um, yeah, just knowing how to be a performer, which is in itself knowing how to deal with the hardest parts of being a performer and doing art for people and caring about what other people think while also doing it for yourself. Yeah, I I would say that being a musician has informed every single thing that I've ever done. And I don't know how it translates to games yet, just because I don't have enough experience of knowing what was what a struggle was like in games. But, be but, you are, but you are a game designer. You are a game designer. I am one, yeah. I, I do. I, I am a game designer. Yeah. Elliot, Elliot was sharpening his knives. So we just got to keep <laughs> I saw saying. that. I got really nervous. <laughs> there, there is something. Sorry, my fangs distended. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There is something about, and I, I've learned this only fairly recently. Like I used to perform as a magician sometimes on stage, and I've recently done some more um, like live improv comedy. And there is nothing like the immediacy of the feedback you get when you are performing for people. And this is true if you're a DM, Mm -hmm. even just for your friends. But when you're performing in front of actual people and they're right there, you will know the minute something is or isn't funny or is or isn't dramatic or is or isn't hitting. Yep. And that experience, while it can fucking suck, (laughs) is also where you get the highest highs and the lowest lows and where you learn the fastest. Totally. Because they don't owe you anything. And in that way, you can kind of trust that they're going to give you the, a straight answer most yeah. of the time. In fact, in the transaction, you sort of owe them something because they likely paid to be there. Uh, yeah, totally. That's a hard pill to swallow for me. But it, so, so sorry. But I it's didn't... true. It's totally true. I mean, I just like I want to go into a lot of performances and be like, you don't owe them anything, but you fully do. Like, you you owe them your effort, I think, in in any yeah. type of art. Hell yeah. You don't owe them perfection, no. but you owe them your effort, mm-hmm. I think, is totally, totally the right way to think and about it's, it. And it's just that decision to consider the audience and to try mm-hmm. that does 90% of the work. There's a um 
is a cafe in the West Village that I, I go to most days. And I, I sit there, I order a pot of tea for like, it's four thirty five. I pay $7 uh, with tip. And I sit there for like eight hours and they all know me and they know not to talk to me. And it's great. Oh. <laughs> I love it so much. What a treat. Uh, but it's old. It's this old cafe that's been there since 1927. And above the bathroom, which is the smallest bathroom in all of New York City. So, you know, it's really fucking small if I say that. <laughs> There's a sign that has a quote that they attribute to Edgar Allan Poe. I have no idea if that's correct. But it says, go look a fool. Tis the secret of a wise man. And it's something that I've been like really actively trying to just like force into my brain as much as possible. Mm. Like, go do it. You're going to look stupid. But like, it's the fastest way to get it done. Just go do it. Go try. Make it happen. So true. Yeah. That was literally like my New Year's resolution this year was just to um, be okay with asking people for help and looking like vulnerable or weak, which is the way that my brain interpreted it of being like, I don't know how to do this thing. I don't have that knowledge. Mm -hmm. Can you help me? Which was a real struggle for me until this year. So yeah, that's, that really rings true for me. That's a great news resolution. I love it. Absolutely. How, how are you doing so far? I honestly good. I am. I am killing it in that regard. I have asked so many people and been so upfront about like, I don't know how to do this thing please give me a lesson. I'll pay you or we can do a Skillshare or something like that. And everybody has been so amenable because people love to talk about what they're good at and people love to talk to you about the shit that they know. So like, it's actually so easy. It couldn't be, e it couldn't be easier to ask people for help. So I, I feel annoyed that it took me this long. <laughs> it's like I said earlier in the show, I want people to be as excited about the things that I'm excited about. Yes, totally. <laughs> I will sit down and talk to you about the things I'm excited about for as long as it takes, but I will get you excited about them. <laughs> you heard it here. Uh, shoot Brian a DM. His time is yours for the claiming. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, you can sign up. I've got a, a what is that? Calendly? Calendly? You, you can sign up uh, for my office Calendly. hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just yeah, encountered Calendly hours. in the wild for the first time and I was like, why haven't I known about this? It's excellent. I've never heard of it. It's just all these corporate things you don't get to see, Brian, being a being a gig worker. So this is a thing for for many sided media. So Elliot has has worked in in more like legitimate corporations. Uh, so is has grown tired of of corporate speak <laughs> in the way that anyone who works for a corporation does. But for Absolutely. me, I've worked in mostly like gigs. So when I hear all hands meeting or uh, what's the other one I like. Um, <laughs> Oh, uh, um, uh, oh, uh, CPI, CP, KPI, KPIs. KPIs. You, you like KPIs. all hands meeting and you like all KPI. Hands <laughs> I'm like, these are cool, fun terms. It's but really Elliot, funny. <laughs> Elliot can't deal with it. So now when we have all hands meetings, I have to call them. Every, what is it? What do I call them? Every, every single hand, every meetings. single hand meetings. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. I, I accept I accept fun twists on corporate speak. That's that's acceptable. I don't know what either of those mean, but they they just they they're kind of cute and funny to me, which is definitely not the intention. See, you're in the same boat as Brian. Yep. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, they're fun. For me, they they harken back. I start calculating all the hours I've lost of my life to them. Um oh. and so, you know. So legit. Yeah. See, for me, I've lost nothing. I've only gained a smile. <laughs> <laughs> um so, Jay, the way we always like to close out the show is by asking our guests, what would you like to bring to the table today? This can be a person, a game, a show, a resource. It can be something within tabletop that you want to recommend. It could also be something without tabletop that you'd like to recommend. Um, so, Jay Stroutman, what are you bringing to the table? This seems like uh, this is not tied into anything, 
I wish it was. I wish I could seem like I know what I'm talking about and like that I that I had planned all of the things that I had said to lead up to this. But I really just want to bring my friends to an in-person table because it has been 650 years since I've played it in, in person <laughs> with my friends. And I want to play my favorite game, uh, my favorite TTRPG of all time with them, and that is Sleepaway. Um, and so I, I would just like to bring, I would like to bring new friends and I'd like to bring old friends to play sweep, sleep away, so sweep away with me. Sweep away. Sweep away. Jay will we want to play sweep away? I will we want to play. <laughs> I'm a game designer. Um. <laughs> <laughs> with that, Jay, thank you so much for coming to the table. Uh, do you want to let people know where they can find you? Ooh, yes. Um, also, Brian has a strict no Twitter preamble rule. So if you're on Twitter, you're not allowed to add any explanations to you're it. You're not allowed to say, like, I'm on Twitter, but it's about to die. Or I'm on gotcha. Twitter, even though the overlook. You, if you're on Twitter, you got to own it. you got to say, my handle is at this. <laughs> I thought you meant, like, I couldn't tell, say my Twitter handle. And I was like, strict Oh, no, fair. you can. Oh, no, yeah, you can yeah, say yeah. your Twitter <laughs> handle. But you're not allowed to give any justifications for why you're still on Twitter or, like, like, there's no caveats. There's a no caveats. Though we've now zone. wasted more time explaining that <laughs> than it would have been if you had one, but I just felt like calling Brian out a little bit. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I'm on Twitter, and my handle there is Stroutmask. Um, that's spelled S-T-R-A-U-T-M-A-S-K. It's like Stroutmask Replica, but Elon Musk told me it was too long and made me change my username to be shorter. <laughs> I'm also on Instagram as Replica. And I'm on Blue Sky as Strop Mask Replica. They're all different, but if you look for me or if you look for Planet Arcana, you'll see that I'm tweeting, uh, skeeting, and Instagramming about them. <laughs> and we will put all those links in the show notes so you don't have to look. And if you want more gaming content, check out the 20-sided newsletter and the many-sided media discord. Those are both linked in the show notes as well. Please rate, review, follow wherever you get your podcasts. And that's what the table is talking about. Bye-bye. 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 <laughs> If you're hearing this, that means you have listened to every last second of this episode, and that probably makes you a fan of this show. Well, if you're a fan and you like what we're doing and want to help others find it as well, then consider leaving us a five-star review over on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts. Getting more ratings really does help more people find the show, and reading your nice words about the things that we put out into the world makes us feel all warm and good inside, and we want more of those good, good feels. So head on over to your podcast player of choice and leave us a five-star review. Thanks.